All right, good morning. Oh, that was pretty good. How are y'all? Good, good. I see that y'all made it across the town with the Austin Marathon going on. Um, anybody who lives on Mopac side will probably be like 45 minutes late. So uh, welcome. I'm glad y'all got here. Did y'all have a good Valentine's Day yesterday? All right. I actually hate Valentine's Day. Okay. Um, it's such a hallmark holiday, I feel like. Um, but it sounds like some of y'all had a good time. Natalie and I, uh, several years ago, said that we wouldn't get anything for each other on Valentine's Day. So single men, this is why you marry a wise woman. All right. Um, instead of uh, getting stuff for each other, we actually spent a bunch of time with uh, the elders and uh, the other pastors and staff members and their wives. And it was a good time. So we got to hang out with uh, the people who helped kind of lead this church together uh, and and it's a huge joy. Um, so all the wives, the kids, we all found babysitters. So we stayed up laughing, talking for a while. Um, and Joey was with us because Joey is now on staff. Ladies, Joey is single. Uh, there we go. Okay. All right. In case you didn't know, you've been here long enough, bro. So <laughs> open market now. All right. <laughs> Joey's becoming a good friend. I can only say that about good friends, but for real, ladies, happy Valentine's Day. All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We are going to be picking up in John chapter 8. That's where we left off last week. Uh, so John chapter 8, uh, verse 31. We'll be there almost the whole day. Uh, we're going to take a really quick aside into one little verse, but you can camp out there. Feel free to rest there throughout the day. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, please feel free to grab and to take that. Um, if you physically don't own a Bible, would you please take and keep that Bible? Uh, that's our gift to you. We think that one of the best things we can give to you is the Word of God for you to have. And so you can definitely take that home, use that um, to read that. Also, uh, if you want to follow along on your smartphone, you can do that as well. Uh, underneath the, um, or in the version app, most of you have that. It's called the Bible app, some people. Uh, underneath the live uh, section where the tabs are, you can type in the Well Austin and you can follow along that way. Or you can take this link and drop it right into your browser uh, if you don't have the version app and you can follow along that way. There are notes and um, uh, poll questions and application questions, and you can even write prayer requests on there. So you can do almost everything on that. And so uh, if you want to use your smartphone, then I would encourage you to do that. All right. I am very, very excited about this week and next week. Okay. And so I'm going to try my hardest to not sneak into next week a little bit because uh, these two kind of marry together a little bit. Next week, we're going to be looking at suffering. Why does God allow suffering? Okay. What about in the Christian's life? What role does suffering play? How do we handle that? How do we kind of come around that? How does the gospel change our perspective on suffering? And this week is kind of leading into that as we're talking about death. So I'm going to try really hard not to sneak into next week, but I'm really excited about both of them because I think God has a lot to say about these two topics, and they're topics that oftentimes kind of get uh, skirted around because we're afraid to talk about them, but Jesus just tackles it uh, directly. And so I may have a slightly hard time containing myself. I apologize in advance about that, all right? Um, but John chapter 8, that's where we're going to be. So go ahead and turn there, and then we'll pick it up in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, remember the context here, because the context is actually still very important. Uh, three weeks ago, we saw that Jesus went to the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, some people called it. And so this was a feast that was dedicated for the Jews to remember their exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the Promised Land. So Jews from all around the world would uh, come back into Jerusalem, and they would 
would worship and they would celebrate remembering what God had done. And what they would do is they would live in uh, tabernacles or uh, booths, think like tents, okay? They would live in tents and they were reminded when they did that of how God provided for them in the middle of the wilderness. And so God was very provisionary. Three weeks ago, we saw that Jesus claimed that he was the light of the world, right? It's actually one of our, uh, uh, the, the sermon bumper, right? It's one of the things that we highlight. The high priest, what they would do is they would uh, uh, pour out water. Sorry, the living water is what I'm thinking about. He was the living water. The high priest would pour out water. And what it would do is it would symbolize when the rod, water was poured out of the rock and it satisfied the Jews' thirst when they were in the middle of the desert. So they were thirsty. They were about to die. Moses, or God said to Moses, go strike this rock and water will come out. And so Jesus then comes and says, hey, actually, I am living water. In other words, I am what satisfies. I am where you find comfort. I am what truly keeps you alive. And so the the priest was probably pouring out the water and Jesus said, hey, actually, that's a picture of me. Like when you see this picture in the Old Testament of the water shooting out of the rock, it should actually remind you of me and who I am, Christ said. Last week, you saw that Jesus said he was the light of the world, okay? The priests would also, along with pouring out water, they would go light a torch or uh, a candle of sorts, and it would remind them of when God went before them uh, as a uh, pillar of fire by night and as a cloud during the day to both protect them from uh, Egypt's pursuit, but also to show them where they're going in the middle of the night. Because if you've ever been in a desert, it is dark and kind of scary at nighttime, right? And so Jesus or God comes and provides for them light to see. And Jesus says, hey, that's actually me, right? I am the light of the world. I am the one that provides comfort through the dark desert. I am the one that provides light so you can see where you're going. I am the light of the world. And so Jesus kind of hijacks these two celebrations and says, hey, these things are actually supposed to be a reflection of me and of who I am. And so the setting here is super important that we remember they're still at the Feast of Booths, okay? Because Jesus is going to once again draw on another analogy. But I'm gonna set that aside for like three seconds, all right? And trust that you can hold on to that for a few seconds. We're at the Feast of Booths, but um, notice the context here before we actually dive through the passage. Uh, Verse uh, 31 says, so, right? It starts off with the word so. And so whenever there's something that is a connector, you should probably go back and see what are we talking about. So if you remember last week, Jesus went through a dialogue. He's alive of the world. And it ended there in verse 30. You can look at it. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him, right? And so Jesus now, it says, so Jesus said to those who believed in him. So Jesus is talking to the people who believed in him. And what he says to them is that if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word, okay? There's a very important thing that we're going to hit on today, and it's going to be a little bit uh, rough path, I feel like, for a lot of us, but it's important that we see what Jesus is doing. There's a difference between believed and truly believed, okay? There's a difference between believed in Jesus and truly believed in Jesus. And you see that here. He says, if you truly believe or if you are truly my disciples, then you will abide in my word. There's a difference between fickle faith and true faith, okay? There's a difference between seeing Jesus as as an accessory or seeing Jesus as God as the main thing in our lives, right? To use the Valentine's analogy, there's a difference between dating Jesus and marrying Jesus, 
right? And we see disciples here who were dating Jesus, but Jesus says, hey, if you want to marry me, there's something that you must do. You must abide in my word. This should be startling for some because many of us have prayed a prayer, right, or, or said the right things or, or done the right things, and we try to show our relationship with God by our works, or we think that something that happens is what actually draws us into intimacy with God. But Jesus says, if you're truly my disciples, you're going to keep my word, right? So I'm going to play my hand here a little bit and tell you the end of the story. These disciples end up wanting to kill Jesus. So do they truly believe? No, right? Thank you. Whoever that was, right? They don't truly believe, right? If you truly believe, you don't try to kill the Son of God, right? And so it says that they believed, but then Jesus says, if you truly believe, this is what it looks like. And so uh, uh, some of us want Jesus because he can get us into heaven, but we don't want to truly believe, right? Uh, here's what Jesus says, a true believer obeys or seeks to understand or lives in or abides in his word, right? There's a difference. Jesus is drawing a very fine distinction here. You may ask, well, what does that mean? How do we know if we're abiding in God's word? Good question. If you ask that, all right? Jesus is staying true to his pattern though, and he's never interested in gathering a bunch of people that are just halfway kind of following him right? If you remember the sermon series so far, John chapter 6, it said, now there were many disciples, and then Jesus walks through a really hard teaching saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you are truly my disciples. Use that same word, truly. John 666, ironic, right? I think the, whoever first wrote that did that on purpose, okay? But John 666 says, many of his disciples left him and no longer followed him. Were they truly his disciples? Apparently not because they were no longer following after Jesus said a hard saying. And so Jesus, once again, he, he always insists would-be disciples or people who are interested in him to truly count the cost, right? If you go to Luke 9, that's what that whole chapter is about. Count the cost. Consider what it means to actually follow Jesus, because it's not just saying something and then receiving all these rewards. There's something that you have to give up as well. There's something that, there's a cost on your end, so you should count it right? If you're truly going to believe, there's a difference. Jesus is always trying to get people into a deeper mode of faith. He's not fine with just fans. He wants true followers, right? He's not fine with people who are fickle and who will leave him in hard times. He wants people who are truly committed to him. And so to abide in Jesus's word simply means that they must continue in the teachings of Christ. They continually rely on it or, or live in it, if you will. To abide means to dwell or to live, right? So they live in or they live on Jesus's word. So they hear the words of Jesus and this actually becomes their hope forever, right? This is their forever hope. This is their dwelling. This is their house, okay? And so listen to me very closely, okay? Because some of you are prone to be too easy on yourselves and think, oh, no, 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 me and Jesus are okay. And some of you are prone to being way too hard on yourselves, and you think, oh no, what does this mean for me? Am I truly a believer, right? And there's a really, really fine balance when you're walking through a text like this, a really fine sermon series where uh, it's easy to fall on one side or the other, okay? And so disciples, this is an important point, are not saved by abiding in his word. Disciples abide in his word because they are saved. Do you see the difference there, right? Disciples are not saved by abiding. They do something. We don't work for our salvation, Right? So disciples are not saved because they choose to go abide in Jesus' word. But when salvation truly comes into your heart, you begin to abide in his word because you're truly saved. Right? Works always follow the Christian. They always do. Because your heart begins to be transformed more and more and more into the image of Christ. They cling to Jesus or they cling to his word and we become a different people. 
right? Joey alluded to that this morning that before I knew Jesus, he said I was a heathen. That's very true, right? But afterwards, Jesus begins slowly but surely. Maybe sometimes it it takes a little bit longer. Maybe for some people, he saved us from the pits like me, right? And it takes a long time to see that sanctification process happening. But the true disciples of Jesus abide. They live in Jesus's teaching, right? Uh, You realize and you do something when Jesus actually captivates your heart, when he wins your heart over into his kingdom. True disciples become more and more like Christ. And so you have to ask, uh, is Jesus's word continually changing your heart? Is it changing who you are? Is it making you into more of a man or a woman of God? Or is it a cool little get out of hell free card, but you're not doing much with it besides that, right? That's what Jesus is forcing his people to think about here right? What is his word? How do we know if we abide in it? How do we know if we have an understanding of the gospel? This is what Jesus takes us through, okay? Now notice in verse 32 here, uh, for those of you who are at UT, where can this verse be found? Do y'all know that? The tower. There we go, right? This verse can be found on the tower. So that's pretty cool. It's actually a very significant verse to have uh, on the base of the UT tower on a very secular campus, right? And I have great hope that God will actually set many people free on that campus into true freedom and use some of you all to do that. I have a great hope. We're right next to UT and I hope that we see God really setting people into true freedom, right? But this text isn't saying that knowing a lot will make you free. And I think that that's the context that the UT tower kind of has it, right? Like you're going to know truth and then you'll be free because of that, right? So it's not saying that uh, uh, you'll know a lot more and be free, right? Like it's not saying uh, knowing maths and sciences and different things like that, that will bring true freedom. That's not what he's saying here, okay? The and in verse 32 there is connecting it to verse 31, right? So the truth in verse 31 is that if you abide or cling to Jesus's words, then you'll recognize the truth, you'll desire to follow him, and through that you'll actually be free. The more you recognize truth, the more you'll want to follow him and the more free you will be. The Christian finds more and more freedom in Christ as life goes on. Did you hear that? The Christian finds more and more freedom in Christ as life goes on. And so ask yourself, are you becoming more and more and more free? Is that something that describes your life where you recognize there's more and more and more freedom? Free from what? Free from sin is what the context we're about to go into. Everyone, Christians and non-Christians who sins, Jesus is about to say, is a slave to sin. Now, I know that word is unpopular in our culture, but Jesus just kind of drives right into it, right? In verse 34, which we're going to read in a second. But Jesus dives right into that context because it's not unpopular with him. Sin is simply missing the mark of God. Sin is anything that harms us, harms people around us, harms the character of God, right? And so anytime that we sin, we actually show we are a slave to sin, right? When you sin, it shows that you're not free and it shows who you're actually enslaved to. Your sinning is a lack of abiding in the beautiful gospel of Christ. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? These people realized that Jesus was coming at them with pretty strong words. And so then what do they do? They begin to try to justify and dance around. Hey, what are you talking about here? Right? They push back. They told him they're not slaves. They don't need freeing. Right? Uh, We're not slaves. We don't need to be free. Now, what festival were they celebrating? Yeah, the booths, right? The Feast of Booths, okay? Remembering what? Their freedom from slavery, (laughs) right? They are literally at a festival that is reminding them of when they used to be slaves in Egypt and God, through his grace and through his love for them, set them free. That is what they are remembering right now. They say, we've never been slaves to anyone, right? 
okay? Uh, they're literally celebrating a holiday which they're slaves, and they're essentially slaves to Rome right now. Rome is actually over Israel in, in, in this context in the Bible. Rome is kind of their ruler, and they're in control, and so for all intents and purposes, they're not even free right now, right? And so how do they say that, okay? Listen to me. Don't miss this, all right? Oftentimes when we're confronted with our sin and our position before God, we get defensive and we act and think irrationally, okay? Like if right now, like we had some way to like notice every one of our hearts and we start pointing out sins in our lives, you know, and we start saying, hey, look at this sin. It'd be real easy. You'd feel it. You know you would, that you'd want to get defensive, right? And when that starts happening, we act and think irrationally toward God, that's what they're doing right here. They're literally, they're being irrational. They know that they were in slavery, but they're just saying something to try to back out of this hard truth that Jesus is coming at them with. Their sense of inherited pride and privilege is so strong, they can't acknowledge their need for freedom. Did you hear me? Their sense of inherited pride and privilege is so strong, they can't acknowledge their need for freedom. And so they try to skirt the issue right? Pride crushes, crushes, crushes our opportunity to know Jesus. Pride crushes it. If there's anything that prevents people from becoming saved, pride is the number one culprit because it crushes us. It makes us think that we don't actually need to be free when in reality, we know we need freedom if we think about it. We know that we need freedom. I don't need help. I don't need freedom. And when you start saying that, you're going to miss out on life. You're gonna miss out on true life. And often emotion blocks us from being able to hear the truth about who Jesus is. Pride prevents us from coming to him. Pride blocks us from the truth and makes us think irrationally. So the Jews are being very unreasonable here. They're being very unreasonable. So Jesus tells them he's not thinking about physical slavery only, right? That's not what he's thinking about. Realize that Jesus didn't correct them and said, well, actually guys, you have been a slave, right? Notice he doesn't correct them. These people, once again, are missing the spiritual truth, and they're going to the physical. How many times does that happen in the book of John? Last week, I said at least 15. It's at least 20 times, right? Jesus is speaking to somebody in a physical way or a spiritual way, and they're missing it, and they're thinking about it physically, okay? Jesus doesn't correct them, but instead, he tries to draw them back and say, hey, look, actually, here's what I'm talking about. We're talking about this from a spiritual perspective, not from a physical perspective, right? Even though he could have corrected them, which by the way, when you're sharing the gospel, remember that please, okay? Spiritual truth is far more important than little points and tittles here and there, right? It's important for us to keep landing back on the gospel, and that's what Jesus does, right? So he draws them back to verse 34. So Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Is this a true statement? Is this true, okay? Uh, let's think about it for a minute. So think about a sin like, uh, let's use lust. This is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, all right? I'm gonna rain on Valentine's here, okay? So many, many people have struggled with lust and they, they try to overcome it, right? Yet they cannot overcome their lust, right? They know that they shouldn't look at certain things online, yet they find themselves in that situation over and over again, right? They know they shouldn't look at that man or that woman when they're walking down the street. They know they shouldn't think emotionally about a certain way, yet they can't help it, right? Is that slavery? Yeah. When you can't control something, when something else is over you, forcing you to do something, you are what? A slave, and that's what Jesus says. Is that a harsh word? Yeah, that's a hard word. Jesus is coming right for our hearts here and saying, look, when something controls you, when it's over you, you are enslaved to it. And so many people, myself included, has been enslaved to lust at points, right? 
It's an easy one to draw on. So they have to obey their slave master because they are in sin, right? I know this is hard, but think about it. Many times we try to overcome sin, yet we fall right back into it, showing who our true master is, right? Has anyone had that experience with sins, right? Yeah, thank you, right? And thank you for being honest, right? I hope, by the way, that this is a safe place, that we could be honest in church, because if we can't be honest here, we can't be honest anywhere, right? But I'm a broken person. I need Jesus. And I need you to tell me I need Jesus and remind me how deeply I need the gospel in my life. Because grace is the only thing that overcomes things like this, right? It's the only thing that helps us overcome sin. So me and I'm assuming everybody in this room have been in a point where we cannot overcome a certain sin. It shows that we're enslaved to it. We are in bondage to that sin, right? Like, uh, let's use a silly one so that everybody can relate, okay? We won't go too hard at first, all right? Think about something like, uh, I need to spend less time on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or uh, what is that thing the girls use? Pinterest, all right? I'm sorry for the one dude in here who uses Pinterest, all right? I'm sorry. I, that was very offensive, all right? But uh, how many of you at one point or another have said, you know what? I just need to spend less time on the internet or social media. Anybody? Oh, look at that. A lot, right? Probably 75, 80% of the room, okay? Now, Facebook isn't bad in and of itself, and we know that, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with looking at Facebook. What's wrong is that when you sit there on the time feed for like 45 minutes, scrolling through, looking at just a bunch of stuff that does nothing, and you know you're procrastinating on something else, right? You are being lazy, the scripture says it's a sin. You are being idle, and Proverbs is really clear that idle hands leads to destruction in the long run. Most of the time, actually, that sin may lead to even more grave ones, right? You may be looking at Facebook, and next thing you know, you're on a porn site or something because you're being idle or lazy or wasting time, and so we know that, right? So we say, I don't want to spend as much time. I don't want to spend as much time. I don't want to spend as much time. And then we do it anyway, right? What is that showing? Right? Now, once again, Facebook isn't bad in and of itself, but God knows when we're lazy, when we're being idle, we're not being fulfilled to our fullest desire. We're not even resting well. Those things don't help us to even rest well. They're just kind of neutral. They're brain uh, numbing, right? So we say, well, I need to. And then we can't. Listen, I'm thinking about myself in here too, right? I just told you like four weeks ago, I had to put an internet like a, a time clock on my computer where it doesn't allow me to go to certain websites for more than 30 minutes a day because if I do, I'm just on those websites all the time, right? Yesterday was Saturday. It's a little bit harder on the weekends sometimes. I read like a 25-minute ESPN article and then a little five-minute thing came up like you only have five minutes left and I was like, no, right? And I had to block it because I had to get on Facebook later, right? To see what happened with Valentine's, okay? But like I have to do that, right? It's it's enslaving almost. Like we have to like, we have to do something, okay? What about when we take it to the next level, right? What about when we get into more serious sins, right? Like I'm gonna be pure with my boyfriend or girlfriend, right? And then we keep falling back into impurity. We don't even want to do it, but then we keep falling back into it. What about not looking at what we should online? We talked about that. What about uh, something like not getting drunk or not getting high or not being controlled by some sort of substance, <laughs> Right? We say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. And the next week, run six, drunk, high again, right? What's going on there? What is it showing? What about not fighting with your wife? You said you'd be kind. You said that you would speak beautiful truth and love. And then she said one thing you didn't like and you blew up again, right? What about not cheating on a test? You know how many times I said that in college? I'm not going to cheat anymore. Next week, I was like, I need to pass school, man, <laughs> right? I'm back cheating again, right? Uh, what about not losing your mind in traffic? 
How many of you have said something like that? Look, you live in Austin, okay? That is one of the beauties of uh, our city is that there's a lot of traffic, okay? So as cool as the city is, you know you're going to lose your mind, so just don't do it, right? Yet we can't. We can't control ourselves, right? All of us have probably experienced being controlled in one way or another over a sin area. And what is a slave? A slave is somebody who is owned or controlled by something or someone else. And so Jesus says, when you sin, you're actually showing that you are enslaved to sin. So this is point one, okay? Everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. That's point one. Everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Something controls you, it's your master. And Jesus tells them and us today that if you sin, it's showing that you're a slave to sin, right? And listen, I actually took the analogy a step further. I said that if you can't control your sin, but Jesus doesn't say control. He just straight up says a singular sin. If you sin, period. Like once, it shows that you're actually owned by or you're uh, uh, under the authority of a slave master called sin, okay? Just this weekend, I was thinking about my sin of anger. Before I got saved, it was, it was violent, right? And I was a violent man and God has redeemed me and brought me to great lengths, but I still feel it creeping back up every once in a while, right? Like when I'm carrying my daughter, trying to be nice to her and she smacks me in the face and then cries for like 10 minutes, it's really easy to want to get really angry, right? And I feel it kind of creeping up. I want, I'm like mad. It's like, you're acting like you're one and a half, which she is, okay? But I feel it, right? It's a sin, the anger that wants to creep up and wants to control me again, right? I was once a slave to anger, and it's so easy to fall back into slavery. Jesus says, when you sin, it shows you are in uh, slave to sin. We are not averse to sin, none of us. Therefore, all of us have some sort of master that wants to control us, okay? And so when we sin in some way, we're not abiding in Jesus's words. We're not abiding in the truth of the gospel, all right? Y'all tracking with me? Good, let's keep reading. Verse 35, because here's where it gets encouraging, all right? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay, so now uh, this has so far kind of been one of those sermons, right? You're like, oh man, I brought my friend to this. Okay, I know it's been one of those so far, right? But this is an encouraging truth, okay? And we're going to land back on it. So remember that truth. We're going to land back on here in a second. Okay, keep reading. Uh, Verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did, okay? We need to realize that we're sick, we're broken, we are enslaved, we need help, okay? And if we don't realize we need help, then we'll never run to the person who can actually help us. We'll never run to the person who can actually set us free. That's why we need to realize, Jesus says, look, you're sick, you're enslaved. I want to bring true freedom. He uses this word over and over and over again, right? And so this is gonna give great hope, right? Abraham had faith in God is what Jesus is showing the, uh, the Jews here. However, these people are enslaved to sin. They're trying to work their own way to God. They're trying to justify how they can have a position with God. But Jesus says, no, 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 Abraham, the people you are, the person you are claiming actually had faith in me. The work that he did was he believed in God, okay? Abraham believed in God's promise. As a matter of fact, Abraham bowed down and worshiped Jesus and they're about to try to kill him. They're showing the exact opposite of what Abraham did. Keep reading, verse 41. You were doing the works your father did. 
They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. This was a jab at Jesus, right? Because Jesus had no earthly father. He was born of a virgin, born of Mary. So they knew that he had no earthly father. And, you know, they thought that his father was somebody else. So they're trying to jab at Jesus here. So it's getting kind of controversial, right? Jesus, instead of getting offended, said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I uh, am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and had nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? By the way, really easy. I've said this over and over and over again. It's really easy to see the, uh, the Jews or the Pharisees kind of combating with Jesus and Jesus kind of coming back with a stronger hammer, right? He's pleading with them here. He says over, why don't you believe me? I keep trying to tell you the truth. I keep trying to draw you to grace. But the truth isn't in you and you're, not, you're choosing not to believe, right? Jesus is being compassionate toward these men, not judgmental. He says over and over, I came not to judge. I came to offer grace and mercy, but they're rejecting it in their pride, right? 47, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These are very strong words, right? Point number two is that sin leads to death and the devil. Sin leads to death and the devil, Okay. All of us are under sin. Sin leads to death and the devil. Jesus tells them that they're actually acting like Satan, making them children of Satan. That's what he says, right? Whereas he's acting like God, making him what? A child of God, right? They're acting like Satan. They're identifying themselves, therefore, with Satan. Sin is what Satan does. And so when we sin, we're actually associating our paths with the devil's paths. I know this is hard, okay? But that's why these men tried to kill Jesus, because this is a hard saying, Right? They try to kill him in the end, but he's saying, look, when you're associating with these things, you're proving you're actually a child of the devil. But if you think about it, it logically does make sense. If we're not with Jesus, we're against Jesus, right? If we're not building up the kingdom, then we're probably destroying it. Even if we're just being idle, we're not building one, therefore we're helping the other. We're either helping or we're hurting. This goes back to verse 35 too, by the way. But those who are sinning like Satan, what happened to Satan? He got kicked out the house, right? Satan was once in heaven okay, got kicked out of heaven, we see in Isaiah, right, why? Because he was sinning, he was prideful, he tried to usurp God's authority. And so he says, the slave gets kicked out the house, but the son remains forever. Who are you associating with, Satan or the son, right? And so he says, look, you are actually proving that you're a child of Satan. Uh, Romans uh, 623, uh, actually, it'll be on the screen, you only have to go there. Romans 623, okay, it says uh, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, right? And so there you go again. In Romans, we see this point actually exemplified where sin leads to death and is an association with the devil who ultimately will live in eternal death, okay? Satan will not live forever, by the way. He will die forever. And so is the fate of those who associate themselves with Satan, right? There's a difference between life and death here. Satan will be dying forever. He will not have life. He will not have freedom. And Jesus says, you are following right in his path by rejecting the truth. The one thing that can set you free, 
right? You're following in this path. And so rather than us getting proud and trying to prove ourselves righteous by our own works, this should provoke concern or panic or at least leave us asking a question of what can I do then? How do I know? How do I remain or abide in the gospel? How do I become a true disciple? Okay, what does that look like? And here's where the story takes a dramatic upshift, all right? And I'm, I'm already know I'm gonna be yelling. I can just feel it, okay? Because if this truth doesn't get you excited, I don't know what's gonna get you excited. The truth that we're about to read is an unbelievable promise. It's an unbelievable promise. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay, you can't help but laugh at that, all right? Jesus is like, you're Satan. And they're like, no, you're Satan uh, and a Samaritan, all right? So when you're mad, you don't think logically and you have really lame comebacks, okay? Keep reading, verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never, what does that say? He will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. (laughs) Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Good question, Jews. <laughs> Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you've not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Okay, come on. If you want to say amen right after reading that verse, I don't know what's up, Right? Look at that. Underline verse 51, highlight it, star it, and write yay next to it or whatever encourages you, okay? Whenever uh, Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, I'm speaking a true sentence. Matter of fact, he usually says it when it's about to be a hard or a a hard to receive truth. So we see it a couple of times. Truly, truly, the the one who the sun sets free will be free indeed, he said earlier, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, he says in verse 41. So he's trying to stress a point. He's trying to highlight, draw attention to this point. And what is he trying to highlight? You will not die. What? (laughs) How can anyone make a claim as bold as this claim, right? You will not die? How can anyone, and the Jews see that. They're like, what in the world are you talking about, man? Are you making yourself greater than Abraham and the prophets? And Jesus says, yeah, I am, right? That's his answer. And so something that a lot of people are extremely afraid of, death, Jesus says, you won't die. You won't die, right? This is point three. By believing in Jesus, you will never see or taste death. I love that the the Jews changed the word to taste and Jesus said, yeah, that too right? Yeah, that too. You will not see or taste death, okay? I know that, I don't know how to stress it more than what Jesus already said, okay? But listen, death is such a scary thing, right? We try to numb our souls from thinking about it, but don't do that. Let your soul talk for a minute. Death is really scary when you stop and think about it, right? Like, when are you going to die? Nobody knows that. All of us in here could possibly die today. We have no idea when we're going to die. Will it be a painful death, right? Will I experience pain? Will I leave behind things? Even more so, and even more importantly, what happens to me after I die? Where do I go? How do I know what's going on after death? Is there life after death? Don't numb your soul too long from preventing it from speaking these things to you, right? What happens to us after I die? Oh, wait, Christians, you're not going to die. (laughs) 
That's what Jesus is saying here. This should be a provocative truth, an unbelievable truth. You will not see or taste death. The Jews here know this is an insane claim. So they mock Jesus for saying this, but he promises us that. He promises that to us. You have nothing to fear. Listen to me. If you don't have death to fear, what do you have to fear? The most scary thing, if you don't have to fear that, then what is there to fear? Right? Jesus said that later, or, 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 and Matthew said the same thing. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you can die. But in the paradox of the Christian life, that's ironically one of the best things that can happen to you. Because when you die, you enter into life if you believe in Jesus. Come on. How beautiful of a truth is that? Right? The thing that is uh, on everybody's mind, the fear that they have, you have no, you don't have to be afraid of. Because you're never going to die. You're going to enter into life for the person who believes and trusts in Jesus, right? John Piper and Matt Chandler, two pastors who I enjoy listening to, actually say that they believe that uh, this means even the pain and the sting of death is removed, okay? Piper specifically, he's, so he's been in many bedsides in his 50 years of ministry. And he said that Christians almost always, no matter the pain of the body, as they are dying, they pass from death into life. And you can even begin to see it on their physical. They begin to smile. And it is like death doesn't overcome them and they enter into glory. I could punch someone right now. That's such good truth, right? Piper says, I've sat by their bedsides and I see death doesn't take over them. Death has no hold on them. They're entering into life. In the paradox of Christianity, death is our friend. We get to go see Jesus and live with him forever. That is a beautiful truth. This is such good news. You will not taste or see death, right? Death is the scariest thing, yet for those who abide in Jesus, who makes their homes in him, who are truly his disciples, your final home is not the grave, but glory. Your final home is not the grave, but glory, right? How in the world can somebody say something like this? Let's finish this up. Because if you just make a claim like this, you better be able to back it up, right? Here's what Jesus says. Here's how he backs it up. So they said, what in the world? You're crazy, right? Verse 55, I'm sorry, verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, there it is, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus makes, can make a claim such as this because he is in fact God. That's how he can say you will never see or taste death because Jesus is in fact God. Abraham saw Jesus as what Jesus claims. How is this? Because Jesus was preexistent like the father. Jesus has always existed. He's internal in his, or eternal, sorry, in his being right? Jesus is God. This must be the 20th time, by the way, in the book of John that Jesus has tried to highlight his godness again, right? Over and over and over, he's trying to show the people, I am actually God. I'm not just a good man. I'm not just a moral teacher. I'm not just here to kind of, you know, make things seem cute and fluffy and speak about things uh, hypothetically. I'm God, Jesus says over and over and over again, Jesus is God, okay? Abraham bowed down and worshiped Jesus, by the way, that's what Jesus claimed. And we don't have time to go into the theology of Christophany, all right? What that word means is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, but it happened many times. Some scholars actually say upwards to a hundred times Jesus appeared to these Old Testament saints. And we see if you're, if you're doing the Bible in a year, you just read this a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus appeared to Abraham, right? It says Abraham looked at him and it was a man, but he worshiped him as a God and he believed in him and he bowed down to him. And so the Jews are saying, how is Abraham seeing you? And Jesus says, because I'm God. 
That was me. When you read the story in Genesis, you should realize that's God walking amongst them. And here he is right now in the flesh again, that we may know him and be drawn into relationship with him, right? The Jews think this is an insane comment, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 I am God, right? And so a logical way, by the way, to say verse four, uh, 58, in case you're wondering, is before Abraham was, I was. That's how you would say that sentence correctly, right? It's not that Jesus is bad at literature, Okay, he's God, he created language, he knows how to communicate, all right? What he's trying to say here, however, he purposely speaks an incorrect sentence to try to stress a point. I am was the covenant name of God. Yahweh is what we say today, right? The, the, the Hebrew word Yahweh means I am. So Jesus says, uh, before Abraham was Yahweh, right? I am is what they're saying. That's why they tried to kill him because he just claimed to be God. He's being very purposeful in that. Jesus says, oh, that was me. That was me, right? So point three is valid because of point four. Jesus is God. That's how we can have assurance of point three, right? Only God has the power to defeat death. Only God does. Nobody else has that power, right? Only God can save us. And Jesus, being God, has offered it to all of us right? Listen, in Jesus is life. And Jesus actually gave up his life so that we might have life in him. How beautiful is that? He was without sin so that we who are enslaved to sin can be free from sin. See, we are sinners, all of us in here, but Jesus was sinless. He offered up his life where if we believe in him, we can take over that, right? That's how we become unchained to sin, is we believe in Jesus, the only one without sin. And by faith in him, he accredits that to us and we then become sinless like the son because the father doesn't look at our deeds or, or, or who we were, but he looks at us and sees Jesus, How beautiful is that? He sees Jesus when he looks at you by faith in him because God wants you to have a relationship with him, right? Or even to carry this analogy, Jesus died so that we don't have to see death. The author of life, John 14, six says, life, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Life dies so that you can have life and you won't have to die. The gospel speaks so deeply into this part of death where we do not have to fear death. You do not have to die. And so if you're unsure, if you're truly a disciple, if you're truly following Jesus, I would encourage you to wrestle with that. Wrestle with that. Jesus tries to make us wrestle with our faith all the time so that we can be sure that we have faith in him because this is the most important point in in the universe, right? Are you following Jesus? Have you given your life to him? Do you truly believe? Do you want Jesus or do you see him as an accessory? right? Do you realize that you don't have to die? You don't have to die. How great is this? You do not have to die. By faith and by believing in Jesus, trusting him, you could be washed clean of the sin that enslaves, and you do not have to die. You will never face death. And Christian, okay, listen, if you find some sin plaguing you in some way, okay, the one that you can't seem to overcome that that keeps coming back, there's probably a point where you're missing a gospel truth. Because if you abide in his words, you'll be free, right? There's a point where you're missing a gospel truth somewhere, okay? You probably aren't applying the gospel or applying the words of Christ into your life in some way. And it's keeping you captive. It's keeping you not free in Christ. You've been freed from death, but you keep playing around and jumping back in the grave, right? Get out of the graveyard. Get out of the graveyard. There's life in Christ and you've tasted it. If you know Jesus, you've tasted, you've seen that life. You remember it. 
And so remember the gospel. Over and over, the past seven weeks have been nothing but gospel messages. This should be encouraging, not just for those of us who are trying to figure out who Jesus is, but for those of us who have figured out, who have believed in him. The gospel is what frees us, not just justification. We get saved and brought to God, but it sanctifies us too. The gospel makes us more and more and more like Christ, right? It draws us from justification to glory. And so the more we realize the gospel, the more we apply it into our lives, the better we are at not over, being overcome by sin, the better we are at being free in Christ. And so apply the gospel into your life. Realize that he is better. And by the power of the spirit, you have the opportunity to overcome the sin that enchains. Jesus defeated death by becoming death that you may have life. If you believe in him, you will never die. I love that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this truth. God, I cannot offer this truth. I am a man who... Who, who is sinful, who has not lived a perfect life, I cannot offer this truth to people. Only you can, Jesus. You said that if we believe in you, we will not die. God, thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for becoming death that we may have life, that we won't experience death. God, would we worship you for that? Would you draw our affections toward the beauty of who you are, Jesus, and help us to know you, Christ Holy Spirit, I pray that in our hearts you would churn up an affection for you, God, that we would sing your praises, that we would honor you with our lives, that we would want the gospel to go to the whole world so that no one will have to experience death. God, would you help us uh, live this out in our lives? Let this be true in our hearts, God. Let this be something that really dwells in us, Jesus. God, you are life. Thank you, Christ. I thank you that you did not stay defeated. You rose up from the grave, defeated death. That's how we can overcome death. You already won. Death has no more sting, no more victory because you won. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us to remember that and to cling ever so tightly to you, God. God, I love you. I thank you, God. I pray that you would continue to do a great work in our lives as we desire, as we try, as we strive to make much of you, Jesus. Let your name be blessed and praised, God. Praise in your precious name. Amen.